Good, e- good evening, everyone. Welcome to your Hawks Insiders Thursday night safe space on Twitter Spaces. The first of the Elon Musk era. Elon, if you're listening, we hope you enjoy the next hour or so as we discuss all things brown and gold in the football world through the lens of the Hawthorne Football Club. My name is Ashley Brown. Great to have everybody here uh, joining us. A uh, bit to get through uh, tonight. So, Without further ado, I will say good evening to my co-host. Hello, Andrew Weiss. Good evening, Ash. Good evening, all. And yeah, must admit, Prinzi and I were chatting off air about how excited we were now with the possibility of joining you and Darren with a blue tick next to our name. So uh, yeah, exciting times in the world of Twitter. Uh, Darren Levine, hello. It might be the other way around. We might lose our blue ticks unless we prepare to pay for them. Yeah, there's no way I'm paying $8 for this blue tick. Um, I I think you've got to earn the blue ticks, Andrew. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, it, it, you only need a blue tick if, if someone's out there trying to pretend to be, be you. And I, uh, I don't think that's going to be the case with me, nor do I think it's going to be the case with you, Dad. So I think we're pretty safe to drop the blue ticks in the next little while if our Lord, uh, Master and Overlord, Elon Musk, is going to make us pay for them. But we will see what happens there. And hello, Danny Prince. Hello, Ash. Uh, yeah, no no grand designs on any blue ticks on this end. Um, I think I can spend that money uh, elsewhere, maybe on the Hawks, on a good uh, subscription to the Hawks Insiders, maybe. Or maybe on uh, the very latest ISC training tops. Bit to get through tonight um, on the show and all the Twitter spaces and all on the podcast, if you're listening to us as well on delay. Just to give you a heads up, we are going to be talking a bit about the Hawks merchandise deal. We're going to look at uh, our new uh, medium forward, Fergus Green, We, which is not, be a nice segue into our guest for the evening, which is a friend of us here at HI, Ed Sill, who will talk to us both in his capacity as... Uh, watching Fergus Green play every game for the last couple of years and also as an aspiring board member of the Hawthorne Football Club. We're going to do a bit of draft talk because I know there's been people out there who want to start talking about the draft and we're only too happy to oblige and we'll put a bow on the first season of AFLW which finished last Saturday night in Perth. So a fair bit to get through and just a little bit of housekeeping as I like to do at the start. We... um, in the fortunate position here at HI that we have been approached by several of the uh, people involved in the forthcoming election who really want to use this as a platform to have a chat about the club and their vision for the club. We've decided we're going to take them up on it. So it'll be some on Spaces, some will be special podcasts, including one we're recording with James Molino tomorrow. So um, we think it's important, but it won't be the only thing we're discussing over the next few weeks, but it, it is an important development for footy club. So we do want to stay on top of it and use our platform as the number one uh, and, and the most informative Hawthorne media, sort of non-official Hawthorne uh, media source out there. So we are very keen to allow these people to come and talk about their love of the club and their vision for the club, which we will do in various forums over the next little while. But uh, we'll park that to the side for a little bit. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for your continual support of us here at Hawks Insiders, $5 a month and $50 for the season for what I think is, uh, what I think, believe it, a lot of people think is great Hawthorne content. Let's get into it. Um, the big talking point, the first one we'll get into was uh, the drop finally came. Right, and of course, if you've got something you want to add to the conversation, anything we're doing uh, next while or with Ed when he comes on, 
make a request to speak. We'll do our best to get you on so you can have your say as well. Um, ISC dropped the, the much vaunted um, launch of the Hawthorne merchandise range. Out with Adidas, in with ISC. Hawthorne, one of several clubs uh, on board doing that, uh, working with that apparel provider. Fair to say, uh, as I welcome you, Darren, because this is your uh, your specialty, um, mixed feelings amongst the Hawk Nation about the range of uh, goodies that ISC have come up with. Sketches is on the jumpers, and you might be able to explain the connection between Sketches and ISC to me, because I'm a bit vague about it all. Um, what was your takeaway with the new merchandise range that the Hawks unveiled through their platforms yesterday? Well, yeah, I guess first of all, the um, Adidas partnership came to a close because I think they were going through a bit of global repositioning and um, footy they considered a niche sport, as much as we hate to hear that um, they think about it in the same way that they think about lacrosse. So I think the club's hands was forced there a little bit and, um, you know, Adidas is a pretty safe pair of hands and... Uh, obviously low priority for a global brand, but I think they churned out some pretty good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of this new collection, to be honest. Like, I'm not a big... I, I don't get the Hawks merch out very often, and it's a uh, pretty uninspiring, I'd say, collection. Um, you know, I think at a time where clubs, especially globally, and you look at how the Premier League and how, much, how important merch is... To, to their offering and to building that sort of fan base from, you know, from, from, from a young age, I think it's just a pretty paint-by-numbers sort of collection of merch and I think it's not really boundary-pushing. I think I really like the idea of voting for a retro piece, but, um, yeah, pretty, pretty bland and uninspiring, to be honest. And I think if the club's serious about courting the next generation of of young Hawk fans. I don't think they're going to get too excited about a, you know, a, a kind of navy blue puffer jacket or um, some of the stuff that I've seen. So, yeah, and, and, and the Sketches partnership, I'm not really sure where, where that fits in and I think we'll probably learn more over, over the next few weeks. I don't think there's any connection between the two brands as far as I know. I know Sketches is going through a bit of a global rebrand and they're, they're going all in on, on sport. But... um. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see how that partnership works. I think with Sketches, there won't be footwear just yet, but there is a possibility down the track they get the footwear. But foot, players have never been obliged to wear the footwear of the club's apparel sponsor, by the way. That's, uh, players have always struck their own footwear deals. So just because Sketches get into the footy boot market doesn't mean that 44 Hawthorne players are going to be running around wearing Sketches mm. boots. Danny, you took a slightly counter point of view on our WhatsApp discussion as all this dropped yesterday. Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's two sides to the story and there's two sides to every coin. And I think with this situation, the partnership with Adidas is obviously uh, finishing and um, the Hawks maybe not the most attractive brand at the moment in the marketplace for apparel sponsorship. Um, so, you know, the grand designs of having Nike or... Puma coming back to Puma, like I saw all over the comments on Twitter and Facebook. Um, you know, that sort of stuff's a bit of a pipe dream when you're sitting, um, you know, second or third last, possibly next year on the ladder and going through a rebuild. Um, you generally become a more attractive brand when you're higher up the ladder. So um, I, 
I think that the partnership with ISC is great. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a bit of a bridging partnership and not necessarily viewed as a incredibly long-term one like Puma was or Adidas even was, um, but more so, you know, bridging that gap um, until we are a very attractive um, brand in the Australian market. Uh, what I will say is some of the stuff I really like, there's there's some, I think they've done some re- a really good job with um, offering uh, the same sort of products in brown and gold or in the sort of players um, light blue training um, gear. Uh, I like that there are two options there. Um, the colour scheme's not amazing, but you can see, you know, they've got to differentiate themselves from what Adidas produced this year. So they had to try something different. Um, what I do love, and I want to make a, a real point of uh, of it, is the uh, the, tr- the run-on um, strip uh, tops and the training um, jerseys with the Indigenous, um, the Hawk, and uh, you know even the um, Tasmania written in the uh, in the native in the native tongue um, is just uh, a beautiful touch, I think. And I mean, it's not. I don't think it's a coincidence that they're doing it um, as a response to a lot of the things that have been happening um, around the club. But I really, really like that we can, that we can do that. And I'm sure our Indigenous players uh, will get a, a, real, um, a real kick out of being able to wear that sort of stuff every week. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty special. I think I'm not a merch guy either. I buy a lot of Hawthorne stuff. But there's a fair chance I'll be buying one of those um, Indigenous run-on strips. I think there's a fair bit of... Um... Yeah, your point about it being a bridging agreement, you don't do these things for less than three to five years. So um, it takes a reasonable commitment. And it may be a case we see, and we'll get to you in a sec, AJ, um, it may be a case that they've just got the basics out first and then as the partnership, as as the two parties, that being Hawthorne and ISC, become more comfortable, they will create some edgier gear and maybe look at different sort of age groups and segments of the market and come up with concepts that work for those particular ones. So I think you've got to roll out at the start. My understanding of my limited understanding of merchandising would suggest you roll out at the start with fairly basic, uh, the proven goods that people like, the jackets, the the training tops, the jumpers, that sort of thing. And then you you you, you move out after that. You are a family that uh, lives in Hawthorne gear 364 days a year. Well, you see how much gear have you or will you order for you and the family? Yes, I think it's really interesting. Obviously, at the end of the day, the club's only going to make a deal if they think it's commercially in their best interest. So it's going to have been a pretty good deal if if the way the commercial operations of the club have been run over the last 12 to 24 months are anything to go by. So I think it's it's totally irrelevant in terms of jumper buying. People who want to buy jumpers will buy the jumper regardless of whether it's got the Nike logo, the sketches, it's an ISC um, um, created jumper or Adidas. I think where you potentially find things will not be as um, as fruitful are, like if I wanted to buy a pair of shorts for running, uh, I'm not sure that I'd get ISC branded Hawks shorts, whereas if they were Adidas, you'd actually think about it based on just going for a run and, and apparel from that point of view. Um, what they have done well, though, Daz um, mentioned the retro jumper, and for that to come out straight away, you went from the discussion around the jump to ISC to actually a whole amount of positivity out there around 
voting for the retro jumper and you know the thinking back to the 99 Anzac Cup win with the Hawk versus what what is absolute marketing genius and I think we don't get the poll results because that blue, the, the diamond jockey jumper just has to win. It has to win. And seeing the team run out in that next year, as terrible as the jumper was, like I think putting that out is just an absolute stroke of genius. So it's taken away from the conversation around, yeah, but it's ISC. And straight away, they've put it in in into a, a positive, uh, framed it pretty positively. And we're all now talking about retro jumpers. So I think they've done pretty well overall in terms of the announcement yesterday. I think it's a stroke of genius. And I re- I voted straight away. I don't normally vote in the polls. I jumped off straight away to vote for the diamond jumper because I so want to see Hawthorne wear it. Hopefully they'll wear it in a Friday night game if Hawthorne get any and make it a talking point for a week and it'll just be a, a major celebration. So... It's brilliant. It's absolute genius. It's a great great move by the club and hopefully uh, Hawthorne supporters will have got behind that because that's the jumper we want to see them wearing in a big game at the MCG next year. AJ, good evening. Got a question? Good evening, boys. Well, if if you follow me on socials, you know I single-handedly finance Carl Amon's contract with the amount of merchandise I buy. I'm a big merch buyer. Um, 30-odd Guernseys in a new polo shirt every year, so I spend a lot of money on it. there's a couple of things to me. Prinzi, you pointed this out. The use of Lutrawitter on the Indigenous Guernseys, that brought a tear to my eye as a Tasmanian to see it written in traditional Tasmanian Indigenous language. That's just such a beautiful touch. Um, the IFC thing is so confusing, though, because uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I reckon IFC have jumped out of the AFL game twice now. They got out 10 years ago or so. And then they picked up a heap of new clubs, including Collingwood, which to me automatically says, well, they can't be that bad of a brand if they had Collingwood on board at one point. And got out at the start of COVID and are now back in the game again. They're a very confusing company. Yeah, well, they've got a very big grassroots footy business as well, I see. So I think it's uh, they never quite got out of footy and then decided to, to get back in with the, the, the best way to build your brand for, for local footy, grassroots footy, to have some AFL contracts as well, I suspect. That is the case there, but uh, so some of the people that I see, we might actually, uh, we might actually uh, try and get them on the spaces on a quiet time later in the year or early next year. Get the uh, the MD of uh, IC as a friend of a friend, and uh, get him to sort of talk about the business model. And I think people may be uh, quite interested in that. It's also um, Daz mentioned it earlier, AJ, and potentially lends itself to the bridging side of things because Collingwood have just moved to Nike. And then when you look at all of the clubs in the competition that are with ISC, they're not exactly powerhouses in the AFL world. So um, so I, I think you're about to mention something, Daz, but it potentially leads to what you were talking about in terms of where we're at as a club at the moment, bringing ISC on board. I was going to say, I can't see the ISC logo on that training top, which I agree is awesome and a great gesture by the club. And, you know, if I was to get any piece of Hawks merch, it's that one. So I just see the Sketches logo on there and I could be wrong, but it, it could be that Sketches will then, you know, come out with a more sort of edgier, for lack of a better word, line of clothing. On the warm-up top, does the ISC logo is on the jock tag at the bottom of the jumper. Is it? Yeah. Um, 
not the picture I'm looking at, but I'll maybe I need to put my glasses on. I think Lloyd Meek had the big uh, ISC top on when he was walking, punching around the footy club yesterday for the first day. So, um, anyway, it'll be interesting. David, you got a question for us? Good evening. No, more a statement, boys. I um, follow St George in the rugby league, and Weezy, don't worry about it. I, ISC did St George for about three to five years, and they come out with all the running gear, all sorts of training tops, everything. They will come out with a lot. If we keep ISC, the rugby league's been big with the ISC, and they've come out with all those training tops, all the fifteen different type of training jumpers, game jumpers, hats, everything. And um, so I wouldn't worry about. It. I think, as um, Ash said, I think you're actually only getting a preview because it's bang first day. This is our main stuff, but as it happens, you'll find they'll bring everything out. Well, we'll wait to see. As I said, it's, it's day one of uh, what will be a, a, probably a five-year, uh, probably a five-year agreement. So, um, a lot of stuff to happen, and I'm sure the club will come out eventually and explain what is going on uh, with and what all different options will be. Let's move on to our next subject, which is uh, Fergus Green joining Hawthorne today as a delisted free agent. He played five games for the Bulldogs up until the end of 2020. He spent his last two years at Box Hill, where I think he kicked something like 80 goals, 83 goals over a couple of seasons. Before we get Ed Sill to come on and talk about what he noticed about playing him, uh, uh, Danny, what were your thoughts when the, the news came out from the club today? Yeah, uh, just firstly, you know, Fergus Green, the player, has done absolutely everything he can to get himself a second crack at AFL level, and it's just so incredibly deserved. And you just want to see people who are good people who, um, you know, really bust their their, their ass to, to make it, um, get given that opportunity. So uh, my first th- thought was, um, you know, well done for sticking at it. You know, when a lot of guys drop off and go play in local footy for bigger money, he didn't. He stayed at Box Hill. And uh, he's reaped the rewards. And like you said, uh, mid-80 goals in two seasons uh, and effectively one and a half seasons because I think he kicked 30 goals in his first season from nine games uh, and I think 53 this year from 17. So he knows where the sticks are. Um, And it was the writing was on the wall, wasn't it, Um, when Jack Gunston moved to uh, the Lions because they needed another option, another experienced option. You can't bring in a couple more tall key forwards that are 18 year old kids in the draft and expect them to compete and if Cozzy doesn't and with Jekka being used as a backman in the second half of this year, if Cozzy doesn't take that step, they need somebody else there and Fergus has been and done it at VFL level, he's proven he's too good for that level and uh, I'm just really excited to see I think he's an outside chance to start round one, I really do and um, you know, at that sort of 193 centimetres he's, he's crafty he knows where the sticks are. He can mark it. He can get um, snap it when it's, the ball hits the deck. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to like there about Fergus Green. And I think I'll let Ed touch on it. But um, I think the biggest thing to like about him outside of what he can bring as a footballer is just what a, what a character he is and how much he's going to add to the a dynamic uh, and the change room vibes he will bring. He is a big vibes man. And I think uh, bringing that uh, can only help that sort of culture that sandwich was trying to create. 
Can anybody uh, hear me? Yeah, I just think Ash dropped off for a second, but I just want to echo Prinzi's comments around Fergus. And it's been a while, actually, since we've had a cult hero at the club, and Fergus is definitely definitely that at Box Hill. Just love the way he goes about it on and off the field, as Prinzi said. And, you know, th- he, he's earned his right to play in... in, in uh, get another shot at it after the after he's delisted by the Bulldogs, and I think he'll actually. I think I think if anything, um, we've we've seen how players have, have made the jump from Box Hill to to Hawthorne quite seamlessly. So that sort of pipeline continues, and you know, there's every. I, I've got no doubt that Fergus will actually be a, a really good player for us next year. I wonder if down the track it turns out that we look back at the uh, Gunston decision as the sliding doors moment because he almost fits uh, the bill straight away in terms of playing that role. He's kicked the goals. He's of the age. He's part of the new wave. And, yeah, hopefully in uh, the next couple of years we... Um, we look back and say, actually, uh, despite everything that happened and us wanting Gunners to stay, uh, it turned out to be a wonderful result. Now, we're just trying to get Ash back on board. Um, perhaps while he is... Oh, here he comes. Can you hear us, Ash? I can. I don't know what happened there. Someone called me on the phone and totally uh, destroyed my spaces. So... Sorry about that. I'm back now. I think we'll uh, we'll now get Ed Sill on the line uh, to say hello to us. Ed is the president of the Box Hill Hawks. He is a standing for the board of the footy club uh, at the forthcoming elections. Ed, good evening. Ed, switch on your mic. Going well so, tonight. Uh, having a bit of a mare tonight, Ed. Uh, <laughs> we'll keep on. Uh, we'll keep on talking about. Um, so yeah, I missed the last. I missed the last couple of minutes, but uh, I don't know what you said before. But uh, I mean, Jai Saron was probably the player on the list that uh, played most like that medium forward role. I can't see him being ready to play round one. So I think uh, Fergus Green's a great addition, and some lovely content put out by the football club on their media channel today about uh, him learning about the contract offer, not from his manager or from uh, Rob McCartney, but from Mitch Lewis and James Sisley, who just happened to be uh, uh, at the club when uh, Fergus Green thought he was, he was doing shooting a farewell video for um, Daniel Napoli, who's about to step down as GM of the Box Hill Hawks. So, nice little bit of touch. There. It was a great... Uh... Great video, great way to um, get him on board. I think the other element, Ash, um, Brad mentioned in our WhatsApp group, I think the indirect effect of the contract in terms of what does it mean for Cozzy and, and how big's his pre-season going to have to be. Prinzi already mentioned that he can see a spot for Fergus in round one. Um, where does that potentially leave Cozzy and, and the forward set up? So I, I guess that's the other question that comes with the contract signing today. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think Cozzy's uh, a bit on notice, I think. He uh, he needs to have a pretty big uh, pre-season. A lot of the guys at the footy club are back training now, and he needs to put in a pretty big 
Summer, uh, Ed, you with us? I've just resent the invite, so right, hopefully, okay. yeah, okay. he's requesting. Here we so... go. Ed, hello. Here we go. Drum roll, everyone. Ed, you here? Hi, can you hear me? You little bit. Fantastic. Very good. How are we going? <laughs> Very good. Good to have you with us. We're we're having a great night technically tonight. Not. Uh, how are you? Oh, I'm really well, thank you. Thank you, and thanks for having me on. Good to have you here. So let's talk first about Fergus Green. You watched him play a lot. Um, were you of the opinion that he was probably too good for VFL and needed to have another look at the AFL somewhere? I think the, uh, the heart, really statement of the obvious, the hardest thing in footy is to kick goals, and, and Fergus does that. So, um, it, and I know he, he was on in Sam's mind for quite a while. What, what, I mean, any, any guy picked up from Box Hill inevitably has a backstory because of the, of the way that they've come through to the AFL. With, with Fergus, obviously, um, moving on from Western Bulldogs. Uh, Hawthorne invited him down to pre-season training at the start of the year, um, chose not to pick him up uh, at that point in time. So he came back, didn't drop his bottom lip. Um, mid-season draft, they, they got interested in him again. Um, and he was third on their board once Hawthorne had got to Ramsden. Uh, they had Ramsden, Blank and Fergus. So again, didn't, you know, just through... Um, just wasn't picked up. Again, didn't drop his bottom lip. And obviously, with, with Jack moving on, it created an opportunity. Um, just fantastic. I think this comment made about the resilience. Nobody plays at Box Hill for the money. They're, they're all there to, to play to the, their peak or hopefully get another AFL opportunity. And we had a great moment last night. Um, we, yeah, we welcomed down our new coach, Zane Little John. He'd come down from Brisbane for a few days. And we were able to announce to the, the, uh, the senior playing group that, uh, that Fergus had been picked up. And it was just a great atmosphere and the joy on everybody's face. It, 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 people did note on it, it, it's been mentioned tonight, he's got a big personality. And everyone was shocked that he'd been, managed to keep this a secret for two weeks. But no, great, great perseverance. And uh, you know, thrilled, thrilled for him and thrilled for the Box Hill people. It's uh, another reaffirmation of that footy department and, and the great work that they do. It's just become a fantastic... F- 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 uh... Of supply of footballs of Hawthorne, really, when you think about, you know, I mean, going right back in the early days of Sam Mitchell, but lately the, the partnership is reaping great rewards. If I think we, we um, during the lockdown, we spent a lot of time talking footy, and one of the things we spoke about was how is this all going to impact on the pathways of football? And we thought there was a great opportunity to really work hard, particularly with Gippsland and Eastern Rangers, uh, and really open our eyes up to, to different pathways. And, and I think, um, and that was led by our footy manager, Dan Napoli, uh, and, it, and it's, it's, it's borne some fruit. You know, Fergus is a little bit different having come through through the AFL system already. But, yeah, no, we, we're proud. We're, look, we're, we're proud of the players, but equally we're proud of the, the people who come through our organisation and, and grow and develop and, and get the opportunity to go elsewhere. We, um, we had a really odd one. We had a lady psychologist at the start of the year working for Box Hill, who's now the Australian Cricket Team Psychologist. So it's been a great breeding ground for people to, to ply their tri- trade and um, move on to uh, you know, their, their next adventure. All right, so let's get to the, uh, let's get to the main event tonight, Ed, which is your, uh, your, your standing for the board of the Hawthorne Football Club at the forthcoming election. Before we get to platform and media issues, the question we at Hawks Insiders want to ask all the candidates is to give us your Hawthorne backstory first. Where did you develop your love of the club? The very first game you went to, where you used to watch games at the various home grounds they've had. Just give us your Hawthorne backstory first. Sure. Um, my, uh, my parents' heritage is out of Europe. My father was Austrian and mum was English. My old man came out for the 1956 Olympics 
and um, decided to stay on. And uh, he was working on a construction site, and, and one of the one of the people on the construction site said, "Mate, you need to follow a, a VFL team, and that's really important if you want to ingratiate yourself into this country." So that was embedded him relatively early. Thankfully for me, um, they decided to buy a house in Hawthorne in the in the mid '60s. And uh, round one, 1972, my older brother convinced my mum that she needed to take us down to uh, Glenfrey Oval to watch uh, watch a game of football. Uh, my mum was English, so she didn't really know too much about it. But she, uh, we lived up near the corner of Burke and Barker's Road. Anyone familiar with Hawthorne? And we walked down and um, watched that game. And um, a lot of you would also recall, unfortunately, I, I don't remember it, despite being my first game. Um, it was the day that Peter Hudson did his knee. So that that was the first first um, entry into AFL and you know since then it's just been other than my uh, my family and friends it's you know the great love of my life is the Hawthorne Footy Club we we told it off to Princess Park and sat in the Ford pocket for for many years and then off to Waverley then uh, back through to uh, back through to the MCG so it's been a, a great journey uh, along the way favorite player um, <laughs> I had a succession of players so Rodney Ebers was first Moved down to Terry Wallace. Dunstall took over for a while. Loved Darren Jarman. And then, of course, uh, Sam in, in more recent times and, and Cyril. Is that, I think that's more than one. But so that's sort of the, the, no, that's that's the progression of favourite players. That's right. You have a favourite player go through. All right, listen, let's get down to business, Ed. You've declared your candidacy for the, uh, for the board of Hawthorne. And first thing I want to say is, I mean, uh, they're actually all, all five candidates for the board uh, – a really accomplished. And I think that's a, a good position for the footy club to be. And I think if you look at the individual records of all of them and uh, what they've contributed to footy and what, uh, uh, what they've contributed in general to the community, uh, they're all great people. So I think it's a, a highly competitive field, I guess, to start from. But let, let's uh, peel back. What uh, prompted you to stand? What, what, what's concerning you enough to think you want to put your hand up and get involved? Well, first of all, Ash, thanks for your kind words. And, and can, I, can I agree with you? I, I don't know two of the candidates all that well. I know that the two candidates have been on the board for an extended period of time and they're Hawthorne people. You know, and um, it's, I'm, I'm really conscious of that. And, and hence, I, I, my preference for this process is to be dealt with in a Hawthorne way. Um, what prompted me to come on the board? I've, I've been having various conversations with with senior people at Hawthorne for on and off for a couple of years, um, and you know predominantly with Jeff, um, and there's there's two issues that have really been that have been burning me, and and that I think are, are really important. First of all, it's the, the theme around the, the family club. Um, every person on here would be a proud, incredibly proud of our success, and also being known as the family club. But um, undoubtedly, over the last few years, there's a number of things that have moved that moved us away from that style and um, you know, treatment of our people um, and have moved towards division rather than unity. Um, and, and sadly, I, I look at it and say, we can no longer claim to be the family club and it's something that we need to actually earn back. So that, that's a really difficult piece as a Hawthorne person, but that's certainly, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm hearing it from, from many Hawthorne people. That's the first piece, Ash. The second piece is... It's been something I'm really passionate about is is our membership. Um, in many regards, we, we now act as a little bit of a political party where, where spin is king um, and we don't actually hold ourselves accountable. So this year we've declared a record membership and, and on the surface you say, oh, that's great, record membership, fantastic. But that's been based on 5,500 
AFLW memberships having been sold, vast majority of which would have been sold to existing AFL members. So let's just go back and deal just with some facts to begin with. Over the last six years, the average AFL club's memberships increased by 36%. Our footy club has increased by 8%. 8%, so 28% below average. And we're the third worst performed club in the league during that period of time and the worst performed Victorian club. So these numbers to me are at this stage really flashing red um, wherever I go. I take the view that membership is the bedrock of our footy club. People who will recall when we were a C-grade footy club a number of years ago and we had one of the poorest memberships and, and through some great work done by numerous people, we were able to build up this wonderful bedrock. Um, but now it's, it's, it's being forgotten. Uh, I think it's a great legacy of the board, the employees and, and even our players that we focus on growing our membership. And it's something that we should take with a great deal of pride, having slipped from number one to number six is just something that's not sustainable. Um, in, in my business world, I always used to say the most important things are what you concentrate on at 10 a.m. on Monday morning rather than 4 p.m. on a Friday. And I just sense that a number of big ticket items are being focused on, but I reckon it's a 4 p.m. on a Friday before membership starts to, um, starts to come to the fore. I think we've just got to stop kidding ourselves. We've got to have lots of communications and conversations about where we're at. We can't slip down the pecking order even further. We must, we must stop the hemorrhaging uh, as a matter of urgency. Um, I'll, I'll, before I come back, uh, Ash, I'll just talk about, you know, we talk about communication. At the moment, the communication process is out, you know, sending out via an email. Communication is not actually about talking. Communication is about listening. And I'm pretty adamant that the club's not listening to the members. And if they were, they'd be hearing a number of different things, one of which is value for money. People are now really nervous about or concerned about the value for money. A seven-game membership, often with Sunday games, etc., now becomes a three- or four-game membership. Um, the interaction with the club, I've had a number of people talk about uh, when raising membership issues with the club, it felt like they were talking to an insurance company that they were lodging a claim with. These are you know, not forgetting members are the owners of the club. They're not, they're not just subscribers, they're owners of the club. Uh, the scarf the lack of family day, the lack of connection with back into the playing group, etc. The list of issues that is diminishing the value for money of being a member of Hawthorne is significant. And um, it's, it's certainly what I'm most passionate about in, in part of my, um, my, my endeavours to, uh, to get a board position. Ed, um, just following on from, I think you touched on a few really, really po uh, great points there. Uh, that will resonate with a lot of Hawk supporters. And I think, you know, one thing that you can tell by the way that, you know, you, you've brought your um, position forward is that you have Hawthorne coursing through your, your, uh, your veins, Hawthorne blood coursing through your veins. And, um, and that's evident as well through your position at, at Box Hill. And I think you talked about connection and I think connection is multi multifaceted, right? And, I just want to see if you've got any sort of how you think that the relationship you have um, at Box Hill with your presidency there and running for the board, how that connection can help and how you, you see it integrating through to your role on the board if you are successful. Um, I think the thing that jumps out at me is that uh, thankfully there's nowhere to hide at Box Hill. You're standing, you know, standing in the outer and you're getting 
new, a lot of feedback constantly through the day from, from Hawthorne people and Box Hill people. So I feel really grounded in my um, process and, and my connection with the people. In terms of how we connect back into the football club, I'd say right now we're at, a, we're at an all-time high between Box Hill and Hawthorne. Um, Josh Vandaloo, Rob McCartney, they're really connecting hard. Helps that Sam coached for 12 months, of course. They're really connecting hard and they, they're seeing the value in Box Hill and that's allowing Box Hill to do more. So it's really a great and a great story of leverage. So I think we, 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 this is my view is this is very much a grassroots program. This is about listening to the people um, on the cement on the half-forward flank in the pouring rain and the cold days, um, the, the, the heartbeat of our footy club. So that, that's what I'm finding most with the, with the work that we do at Box Hill. Ed, one question that probably ties into um, some, some of the discussion around membership and, and the importance of, of members and how they're feeling. Um, a, a topic that we don't necessarily want to be talking about, but obviously exists and is front and centre and, and um, is causing quite a few issues within the membership is obviously the, the cultural review and, and everything that's happening in that space. And um, I guess that the separation between Sam and the club right now versus things that have happened in the past, um, the significance of this review and your take of um, processes and, and what needs to be done, how we address that with the membership um, to, to keep them happy through what could be a, a significant period of time while this plays out? I think there's a, there's a couple of ways I'll, I'll respond to that. First of all, we, we as Hawthorne people um, have to just accept that this is going to take a long time to play out. I don't, I don't want to get caught up in, in, in terms of taking sides or trying to impose my thoughts on the process. This is a really difficult topic that's going to take a long, long time to resolve. Um, so I think that's just something that, that we need to accept uh, as, as Hawthorne people. Uh, I felt really uncomfortable that people I knew to be great. I mean, I spent a lot of time with Alistair and, and, and Chris Fagan and Jason Burt. We, we ho have hosted um, Hawthorne boys for the last 13 or 14 years. So we've sort of felt firsthand the boys being indoctrinated into the club, really feel uncomfortable that, about where they sit. I, I have no view on guilt or innocence or whatever that looks like, just feel that was a bit uncomfortable. All I would say, sorry, that was very uncomfortable for those those people and their, and their families. All I would say is that we should be dealing with this in a very open and transparent manner. Um, now, I, I think Jeff's been great in many regards, but when he called this sort of a, was it a glitch or a little bump in the road? It's not that. It's something that we need to be really open with our, our people about really transparent. Perhaps if we'd done a little bit more of that earlier on, we, we might be where we are today. Um, but it's we just have to accept that and, have, and develop some trust in the people who are managing it on our behalf that uh, that we can get we can get through this stronger as a football club and, and hopefully as many people can get some form of satisfaction, satisfaction out of it. I don't know what that looks like. As I say, I, I'm not, I don't have the data. It's unfair for me to comment um, on, on the actual, you know, the depths of the process. Ed, thanks for coming on. Um, you, talk, you talk about increasing that sort of level of connection between the fans and the club. Do you have any immediate um, ideas around that? I, I, I just can't help but look at 
you know, the club that I support and the EPL, Everton, and that sort of connection with, you know, fan forums and listening to supporter groups about changing tunnel access. It seems like a really strong connection that goes beyond email. Do you have any sort of initial ideas of how to how to rekindle that connection between supporters and the club? So I think if, um, if I go back to some grassroots and, and standard stuff, because I, I don't think there's actually anything complicated in what we're trying to achieve here. Go back to the, the great days at Glenfrey Oval of the family days. And they were days where the players and the coaches were accessible and you genuinely felt part of a, of a bigger being. Um, and you know, I think they, they, the club did some great things, some little things, but great things. The, the coaches were responsible for cleaning up all the bins at the end of the day. And it just sent, in my mind, a really good message. That family day was, this is who we are. This is, we, we are the Hawthorne Football Club, the family coming together. Rekindling those, and I'd, I'd get them back to, if we can get it back to Glenfrey Oval, I'd get it back there and you know, make sure that the, the heartland is being dealt with. You talked about, and I, I'm quite strong on the fact that this email process just doesn't work. It's actually us being told as opposed to us being listened to. So I can't solve the problems of our membership base. Only the members can solve that by bringing forward their issues and, and as identifying the things that we can, uh, we can most work on. Um, but, you know, the, the, the reality is the challenge we face is we, as the game has become more and more professional, of course, the playing group has become further and further divided from the membership base and how do we work on finding ways to reduce that divide? That's not the players' fault, of course, but we've got to work with our playing group. How do we just quietly um, re- resolve that and get them getting back closer to our membership? We had, well, the Hawthorne Club, Footy Club did a great um, kids' clinic during the year where if the members were able to take their kids and they had the players on the ground at Waverley, it worked really well. The feedback was fantastic. We've got to pick that up and not, not allow that to be a one-off, but rather how do we continually... Just re-engaged with engage with the you know the primary the primary real estate of our footy club, which of course is uh, is our playing group. Ed, you, you talk about the um, the emails to members. And think you think about it as you were talking, the time the club's been most open uh, and the communication's been to it was during the hub when basically uh, Justin Rees and Graham Wright were had bugger all to do during the day in the hub. So they set up these uh, these uh, Zoom conversations where you could actually fire questions and observations at them. And actually, I mean, a lot of it went through to the keeper, but it was actually a, a genuine attempt at two-way real-time conversation between the club and and the, between the leadership of the club and the supporters. And it's funny, since they've got since the they've left the hub and gone back to normal transmission out at Waverley, that sort of communication stopped again. It's interesting because that that we're all now used to Zoom and you know what you, you guys are doing on your on your Twitter feed is now becoming how we deal with our, our interactions more and more. And uh, I know they, the, the club was, was endeavouring to do some things towards the start of last year in repayment for the people who paid their membership for, for not being able to go to the footy and having players come online for 15, 20-minute chats and they were able to do it from you know, their lounge room so it wasn't imposing too much of your time. And you felt actually close and connected to them. They're small things. They're, they're, everything we're talking about is small but it's focused and it's 10 o'clock on a Monday morning is the concentration piece. Yeah. Do you have a view on um, life post-Tasmania, which may be 12 months, it may be five years? Do you think the club, uh, do you have a thought of what happens when the, the Tasmania pipeline closes, both from a sponsorship and a, 
at a four games a year point of view? I think um, we we uh, we want the best of both worlds, don't we? We still want um, our wonderful Tassie members uh, to be involved. Uh, we still want to have a part to play in Tasmania, but there's no use kicking that can along the road any further. It it, it seems like it's a it's going to inevitably occur that uh, Tassie will get a license, and that means the relationship with Tasmania as it stands today will change. Now, I think the best case scenario we can aim for is still have a, um, a number of match days down in Tassie and continue to support it, uh, particularly through through Launceston. But I think inevitably we need games to come back to Melbourne. Um, I haven't seen the finances on the deal for quite a while now, but I know going back a few years, things were just starting to, to even up a little bit in terms of as, as long as we can get the, the right naming sponsor on the on the uh, front of our jumper, and you know, some conversations before about the new apparel sponsor, you know, might suggest it will be a challenge. But we, uh, I think, the Tasmanian experience has been fantastic for our football club. I think we've done a great job in managing that Tasmanian experience, but it's now out of our control, and, and we need to start having that conversation to say, okay, what does this look like pretty quickly? And we can't recoil from the fact that it looks like more home games, which is what the vast majority of our, our Victorian-based members will be looking for. Last question, and you may or may not care to answer this. Do you have a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a preference for the presidency? So between... Uh, so, Ash, um, Jeff, Jeff's email of last week was fair to say my, my phone exploded for about an hour from people I haven't spoken to in a long time in many instances, sort of being really disappointed that Jeff was telling everyone how to vote. And I reflected on that a little bit and thought, no, I'm not, I'm not going to tell people how to vote. I think there's, I think I know Ped Nackerville, I have a high degree of respect for him. I think he's a Hawthorne person. I know I've known Andy Gowers for a long period of time. I'd level of respect. I think he's a Hawthorne person. All I would urge is that the members to listen to what they've got to say, take their views from what they've, they've got to say. I, I'm not here to, to um, prompt or push my agenda any further than to say, I'm just offering myself up as a Hawthorne person. I think I can add value. If I, if, if not enough members think that I can add value, the day after that occurs, I'm continuing to be a proud, passionate Hawthorne person doing whatever I can do to support the club. So I'm not here. I have no interest in dividing. I'm just here to, to offer what I think is some value, but that's up to the members to, to make that call. All right, Ed. Well, terrific. It's been great to have you on uh, the spaces tonight just to talk a bit about uh, your uh, candidacy for the board. Um, no doubt we'll keep talking to you on a fairly regular basis about Box Hill anyway. So thanks for coming on today. Thanks for your support of what we do at Horse Insiders and the very best of luck for the next few no, weeks. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, passion for Hawks on this uh, on this program uh, is inspiring. And uh, let's uh, we'll just keep pushing forward. All right, thanks, Ed, for joining us and send our best to the coach as well. We know you talk to him regularly, so we uh, tell him we're all big fans. All right, great stuff. <laughs> um, all right, that was Ed Sill um, and Box Hill Hawks president, board uh, candidate for the Hawks at the election, uh, which I think the club announced on the website today, voting opens, I think, November 18. I might stand corrected, but uh, it's quite soon. So uh, we we all we encourage people here. We get to give all sides, by the way, um, we will be having a podcast with James Bellino uh, and next week we'll be having one with Peter Nankable. So uh, let's people think we're pushing one side or the other. We are avowedly neutral and we uh, hopefully will be getting all candidates to come and speak to us 
put their case across in the next little while. But we know people don't want to talk about the politics for too long. It is nearly draft time. Um, a bit more housekeeping. Diarise this, everybody, in two weeks' time, November 17, Cal Toomey, the guru from AFL Media, will be on the Hawks Insiders, as he was last year, to run through the draft from a brown and gold perspective. So if you're going to see any spaces this year, November 17 is the one with Cal Toomey. So uh, we uh, haven't forgotten the core business here. Brinzi, you're our draft expert. Um, we'll preview the draft more extensively the closer we get to it. But which players are you, which sort of four or five players are you uh, doing your homework on at the moment that you likely think are going to be Hawthorne, uh, likely to be the first pick for Hawthorne at this stage? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really good question, Ash, and it's a very fluid situation depending on, uh, you know, who you speak to. But I think um, there's been a bit of movement in terms of um, earlier on in the year, there was a, a lot of chat around uh, Ashcroft, Wardlaw, Sardis and then Gap, Sheasel, Cadman and so on. But um, for, for, for some particular reason I'm, I can't quite put my finger on, it seems like there's some conversation that uh, Elijah Sardis has dropped from that first tier of players and there's a legitimate chance that he might um, fall to Hawthorne's first pick. So um, first and foremost, cards out on the table, if Elijah Sardis is available when the Hawks pick, they should absolutely be taking him. Um, I think he's an elite talent, and I think um, he is. He would be a phenomenal get and a great point of difference for the Hawthorne midfield. Um, if he, as I sort of expect, still goes ahead of where the Hawks pick, I, there's there's quite a few good options, um, and all of the guys that I'd consider at this pick are midfielders and different types of midfielders. So um, there's a little bit of word um, around. Matthias Philippou, uh, the South Australian um, tall inside-outside midfielder. He's a, he's a very young, young player. I think he's the youngest player in the draft pool this year with a December 27th birthday, if my memory serves me. Um, and he's 192 centimetres and loves to kick 50, 60 metre um, bombs. So, um, yeah, just one with plenty of scope for improvement with being almost a year, you know, younger. I mean, four days later and he's eligible for next year's draft. Um, and I think, you know, really high upside players. And I think that's what the Hawks need to be looking at with um, their their first pick, six or seven, wherever it lies. Because, you know, they've got some they've got some cracking footballers in their midfield unit at the moment. But there there is a bit of an X factor missing from that midfield group. And I think over the next couple of drafts, that's what they need to be trying to add. We need to try to grow and develop our own dusty, bont, uh, Petrarca-type midfielder if we can. And uh, we just need to find that that high upside player. So another one that I like who has a lot of upside and a very high ceiling is Bailey Humphrey. Um, and Ed touched on the work that Box Hill do with uh, Eastern Rangers and Gippsland Power. Bailey Humphrey was the captain of Gippsland Power this year. Uh, he did deal with some injury issues over the course of the season, but my word, when he did come and play in the NAB League for, for the power, I think his game back from a long-term injury, he had mid-30s touches and kicked five goals four, uh, or four goals five. So um, he is a, a very elite talent. I think the knock on Humphrey is that um, he's probably a forward before he is a midfielder. Uh, but I think he's got the scope to develop into a full-time midfielder that just uh, rests on the half-forward flank. And he's also got a bit of a knock on his kicking. 
uh, especially kicking for goal. And um, I think that, you know, if we look at Hawthorne's developmental system, I'm not too worried about bringing in players that aren't um, amazing kicks. If you have a look at um, Chankos Giath, um, who has turned himself into a really serviceable kick of the footy. Um, when he was drafted in his draft year, well, he, he actually was drafted as a Category B rookie. Um, he was considered one of, if not the worst kick in that draft class. So if the player is willing to work on the skill and um, Hawthorne's development team has proven that they can work with them, um, that skill can be fine-tuned and turned into, if not a strength, definitely a, a, a net positive. So um, I think Humphrey, uh, Philippou, Sardis are probably my favourite three. And then I'd probably go... Cam McKenzie at number four. So McKenzie's a 187 centimetres, um, uh, Humphrey being 185 and Sardis being 187 as well. So you can see we're going for the sort of taller end midfielder. Um, McKenzie's inside out, in, inside outside as well, uses the ball beautifully. And if you, if you watch the AFL um, highlights packages that they're dropping um, a couple of day, every day up until the lead up into the draft, um, the Cam McKenzie one's really good. It's, he's not explosive, but what he does do is he weights his kicks to oncoming forwards beautifully. So he hits balls into space for those forwards to run onto. And I think if we're going to start helping our, our leading forwards, our Mitch Lewis's, Jacob Kaczynski's, Fergus Greens and those sort of guys next year, we need guys that know how to deliver the ball by foot. And I think we've seen that with Josh Ward this year. We've seen it with Connor McDonald. They're good users. We need to add more of those. So, um, Mackenzie's actually tied to St Kilda's Next Generation Academy, uh, but he will. Uh, the rules have changed this year, and they need players need to fall outside of the top forty in order to be picked up uh, or matched a bid on them, and that will not happen with Cam Mackenzie. So, if I'm giving you my top four for that pick, Ash, and I know it was a little bit long winded, but those are the four guys that I've got my eye on at the moment, and I'll be doing a bit of a write up on all of those guys and the pros and cons and who my favourite would be. Um, a bit of talk there. Uh, McKenzie's a Hawthorne supporter as well, so he fits huge Hawthorne supporter. Yeah, with about eight others who are joining the club uh, at the moment. Now, why would Sardis drop? What, is it just because other players that sort of be, become sexier the uh, the closer we get to the draft? I think there's a little bit of that. There's um, the fact that Sardis had a very injury interrupted season as well, um, and there's. Well, I think it's it's probably a fair bet to say that Gold Coast Suns won't pick him um, because he's deemed he's been deemed a flight risk. He's sort of in interviews made comments that will have scared off interstate clubs. Um, if you look at the the way that the top three are expected to play out, you've got uh, Cadman. The Giants traded up. Everybody in the industry believes the Giants traded up in order to pick him. Um, they see him as somebody who will stay in. Uh, Western Sydney and can replace uh, the tall forwards that they've lost over the last few years. Um, then North have this um, interesting position where they've got two and three. And um, I don't think they want to take two midfielders. So George Wardlaw was, before the season started, um, on par with Will Ashcroft. Um, and he will probably be the first picked by North there at pick two, which should be pick three. And then pick four... The, the point of difference is uh, Hawks Insider's own favourite son, uh, Harry Sheasel. And um, he can just do things that uh, in that forward uh, 50 that others can't. So I think getting a balance in the way that they pick um, 
probably sets up those first four picks going Ashcroft or Cadman Ashcroft in some combination, then Wardlaw Sheasel. Then it becomes what do the what the if you want to have five dollars on this uh, have five dollars on uh, Sheasel being picked before North actually calling Sheasel before Wardlaw. Really? Okay, there you go. Well, I mean, you would know Ash, so there's the inside word, everyone. Get get your money get your money on uh, on Sheasel at North's first pick. But um, I think once you get past North, then it looks like uh, Essendon, Gold Coast, Hawthorne. I've already told you why Gold Coast won't take Silas, and then it's really a coin flip. Um, Essendon are looking for sort of that midfielder, that big body midfielder, and there's there's word that they re- they really like the look of um, Humphrey and Philippou. So um, it might just be whatever um, old fist pump Dodoro feels like on the day, uh, and it it may be that Sardis ends up sliding. So the the bit of a knock on him was slightly with his disposal when he's in a contest. He he tends to I don't think it's necessarily his disposal, but more of his decision making. Um, he tends to be a little bit sloppy. Uh, and also that flight risk um, in in a couple of interviews, he sort of hinted at the fact that he doesn't want to leave Victoria. So that, that'd be the reasons why he might slip. And what about the guy from Geelong? Uh, Jai Clark. Jai Clark? Yeah, so Jai Clark, um, a bit of a smaller midfielder, and I think that might prohibit the Hawks from taking him just with, um, you know, uh, McDonald and Butler and um, and Ward that they picked up who are sort of that, um, sub 185 centimetres, which, you know, is not small, but in AFL terms, it kind of is. Um, Clark is, he, he's a smoky for that spot too. I just feel like he may not, he might be a little bit too similar to the, the, the McDonald's and the wards that they picked up this year. Um, and the Hawks might be looking for that point of difference that I touched on. Somebody that has sort of that real X factor, those some of those elite attributes that sort of stand out at AFL level. Whereas I think, Clark could be, you know, a 200 game player and might be a very good player, but I think there's a there's a lot of similarities between him and Josh Ward, and I don't know. I mean, you can't have too many of them, can you? But I think you need to swing for the fences sometimes, and I think um, this is potentially a good draft to do that with a few, quite a few um, mid forward type players that are, are what the Hawks are lacking at the moment in that range. What Sam Mitchell need to do next couple of weeks uh, with um, with uh... Mark McKenzie's go, just drive down to Geelong and have lunch at that pub across the road, get in near park. I can't remember what get, it's called. Get people, get people talking. Just have lunch and just come back to Melbourne. But the fact that if they get, get, go down and have lunch, and everyone will think they're, they're going down to talk to Clark. And then what they've got to try and do is get Geelong to jump ahead of Hawthorne uh, in the draft to make sure Hawthorne don't take Clark. That yeah, is, and, I, uh, and I think that's the, other, that's the other thing to consider, Ash, is um, we haven't really discussed much about, um, you know, a live trade uh, in the moment. And depending on who's available and who they think Geelong are going to take, that is a legitimate option for the Hawks to trade down a pick or two to get another asset. And um, there are some options there too if, um, you know, the draft falls a certain way. It'll be really interesting to see if the Hawks are brave enough to, to pull the trigger on something like that on draft night because that's a big a big call to make. And if it doesn't then fall the way that you think it's going to fall, you can be left with egg on your face a little bit. But um, I, I agree. I think any time you can get tongues wagging and the media types talking about, um, you know, what could happen or what might happen and get Geelong on the phone saying, hey, you know, what, what will it take to, to trade up to your pick? I think that that's a smart move. And, and, and any other asset, be it this year or a future asset that the Hawks can get, uh, is, is going to be beneficial. It's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a furphy, though, isn't it? Because other than, 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, other than Stoker and what Carlton did at the time, there seems to be a lot more talk about live trading of picks and sliding up and sliding down than what actually eventuates on the night. So without wanting to, you know, bring the mood down, is is that a fair call, Prinzi? Uh, probably in the top half of the top sort of first round of the draft. I think um, I think people or clubs um, place a really high value on that. And I think um, on those picks and, and, and rightly so, right? Because that's often where you, where you get the, the, the gun players into your footy club. Um, but I think, I think there's still a possibility, even if it's shifting for, because you know, you need, you know, to move up to a certain point to get a certain player. Um, th- that's always going to be a possibility. And I think the more that clubs study how other, um, um, you know, leagues and, and, and codes do it, the more that it'll come in slowly over the next sort of few years where they take more calculated risks in that space for a player that they desperately want. So um, you do see a lot of the live trading later in, you know, the second round and the third round where players see, where clubs see a player they like and they trade up to get in or they don't like anybody in that particular range so they trade out of the draft completely. Um, and I think the Hawks will be major players in that space too, sort of later in the draft with all of the draft picks they have. I don't think they're going to use them all. I think they're going to look to package a few of them and either if they can get into, you know, sort of the 20s and 30s, they'll try and do that. If they can't, they may you may see them, um, you know, pack, um, send them out and bring in a future asset in, in next year's draft, which is expected to be fairly stacked at this stage of the year. Uh, Darren? Uh, a couple of players dropped off the radar at their clubs in the last few days. Ben Ronke or and Jared Pollock. Any interest in seeing all of those running around in the brown and gold next season? Oh, <laughs> definitely not Pollock. I think he's had a few a few cracks at it. But um, Ronk's an interesting one. And and I think Weezy actually had a, had a good idea of what to do with Ronk and maybe just get him on the list and put him out to, put him out to Box Hill... Um, and, and and just kind of, you know, finish his career there um, just as payback for the seven goals he kicked on debut against us. Yeah, that's right. You could do what Channel 9 used to do with the Channel 10. Channel 10 used, Channel 9 used to hire all the big stars from Channel 10 and then basically park them on to have them reading the weekend news, the weekend sunrise news. So we can do it, Ronky. Get him to uh, get him to Hawthorne and then basically bury him for, uh, for two years. No, I don't think either of those players will be coming to Hawthorne. I think uh, the Fergus Green... Announcement puts paid to that. Before we go, quick wrap up. The AFLW season finished. Hawthorne went down in yet another entertaining game, losing 7-7-49 to 7-2-44. We don't have Brad with us tonight, but Brad would celebrate the fact that Aim Ty kicked four goals for Fremantle in what AFL media called the game of her career against Hawthorne. So she, who does she join, uh, Danny? Uh, who does she Cal- join? Callum, is it Callum Brown? Uh, not Callum, Callum Brown. Brown. Yeah, Callum Brown. And, uh, from Leo GWS. King back in the day. And ben ben Ronk. <laughs> That's right. As the players who've had their career days against the Hawthorne Football Club. So well done to her. But uh, seriously, well done to Beck Goddard and the team for a fantastic debut season. Um, this is a Hawthorne team that uh, went over to Perth with missing several young guns, including Jazz Fleming, and twice led by three goals. Couldn't quite finish off with the wind. Uh, with the win on on a wind affected day, but uh, it's a great season uh, that they've had, and we see it sort of seems a bit of a uh, a lot of stuff to happen in the meantime. It's a long time to wait now till next season. It was a ten game season. 
It is, which is really unfortunate because I think we came into this the season full of excitement and hope and, you know, we talked a lot about what it meant as supporters, a, a lot of us who hadn't gotten into AFLW to finally have our own team and get on board, but you still didn't actually quite know to what level we get to with, with the fandom of, of the women's team and uh, the season was all that and more and we all got behind it and it got better as it went on and um, yeah, an absolute celebration of what they did and uh, I'm sure that throughout the next six months they'll be well and truly um, brought into the men's program as they did before the season started and really uh, a, a really good collaborative club approach will see us well placed to uh, keep the momentum going for our second season. It's very exciting. It is. It's, uh, they've done a super job and we will miss following them and uh, we'll look forward to all the movements in the draft what have you, over the next uh, few months as they build up again to next season. So that has been the spaces for tonight. It's been a beauty, I think. Um, as I said, we are recording a podcast with James Bellino tomorrow. It won't be too, you know, it'll be about the Hawthorne election, but also as we did with Ed, we want to get to know James Bellino, the Hawthorne supporter as much as anything. So I think you'll enjoy that one. Uh, and we'll try and keep it as light and breezy as the circumstances allow. And uh, Peter Nankable and Andy Gow is coming up as on podcasts as well over the next couple of weeks as well. So we, uh, as we aim to keep you informed about everything happening at Hawthorne, in the future, lots of draft content, both in written and audio form. And don't forget, please, Diarise. I think it was our just about our most listened to spaces ever, uh, Darren, if I'm right, was when we had uh, Cal Toomey on last year. So let's hope that we're, history repeats in a couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely, Cal. As you said, it was a draft guru and just it's, it's getting exciting. And, um, you know, looking forward to the days where we're not in the, in the you know, having to draft early and we're at the, the, the place where we should be, where we're picking late picks. But, um, you know, it's for now, at least, the draft is really like Christmas for us pork supporters and the day that we're most looking forward to. Well, as Clark, I used to say uh, disdainfully, uh, for other clubs, the draft's their grand final, but not for us at Hawthorne. Well, at the moment, uh, the worm has turned. Hawthorne is a second division club, both in Guernsey, uh, in, in, in apparel, partner and in uh, draft position. They are drafting too high up for what I like but uh, it is a lot of the clubs in couple, at least in a couple more years. So, yeah, lots of draft content coming both in written form and on the podcast, on the spaces as well. So thanks everyone for joining us tonight. Um, we'll be back roughly this time next week again to go through uh, more stuff through a brown and gold lens. Cal Toomey, as I said, in two weeks. Uh, James Bellino podcast on the weekend. Any housekeeping before you go, Andrew? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Just keep posted for um, quite a bit of content over the next couple of weeks. Looking forward to it. That's right. And before long, before too long, they'll be back training again. So there'll be even more to talk about then. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Hawks Insider Safe Space tonight. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy uh, next week. And we look forward to chatting you then. Thanks and good night.